Let that be a prayer for us this morning. All the praise to him. And nobody else deserves it. So nobody else is going to try to take it this morning. Several years ago, um, I would say privilege, but it was not a privilege. I had my wisdom teeth uh, removed as an adult, and there's never a good time to have that happen. And uh, nothing fun about the whole process. I ended up pretty worthless on the couch. Um, couldn't really accomplish anything, but I came home with uh, the DVD set of season one of this television show called 24. Uh, now, 24 is a show about the guy who's the head of the counterterrorism unit, and the, the goal is to save the world. Well, here I was, unable to do anything, and each episode's about an hour, and uh, there's 24 episodes in a season. That's why it's called 24. It's about one day. I sat that day, woozy from pain meds, galls sticking out of my mouth, and I think I watched about 12 episodes of season one of 24, and I was instantly hooked on this show. They call that binge watching. I never got to do it, but that one day, 12 episodes in one day. And there is nothing better than a save the world uh, plot in a TV show or in a movie, in my opinion. And one of the great, greatest heroes in the whole genre is Kiefer Sutherland as Jack Bauer. I love that show. Not on the air anymore, but that's probably a good thing. Else I'd be flipping TV there and stuck. But I think there's something within us that attracts us to this idea that the actions of one person could change the world. And so we dream of uh, moments where all of a sudden there's somebody who's needed to step up. And in that instant, it's us. And we step up and we save the world. And all the song says all the praise. But in that moment, in our dreams, we're trying to take all the praise for that, right? Well, here's the reality for us this morning. That could be you. I know that sounds outrageous. But God is inviting you and he's inviting me to join in his mission to save the world. Sounds a little outrageous, sounds a little dramatic, but that's what we know the scriptures are all about. Jim Collins, who is an author and speaker, he talks about uh, and writes about company sustainability uh, and growth. He wrote a book called Built to Last, and in the book he describes a goal that certain successful companies establish, and they're able to articulate that seems audacious. Um, it, outsiders think that there's no way it can be accomplished and insiders are thinking that it will not fail. And he calls this goal the big, hairy, audacious goal. And to shorten it, he calls it the BHAG, B-H-A-G, big, hairy, audacious goal. Well, I think that the mission that Christ articulated for his followers, for his church, was a BHAG. When he said, go therefore, and uh, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And for us to think that we could contribute to that mission to save the world is a big, hairy, audacious goal. Over the next several weeks, we're going to follow the Apostle Paul as he goes on a mission, really, to save the world. And it's, it's uh, recorded for us in the book of Acts. I'm calling this series On Mission, and we're going to trace Paul and his companions as they travel on what's traditionally thought of as the second and third missionary journeys that Paul has. And as a follower of Jesus, I want to start off by saying to you, 
that you are called to live your life on mission. Now, I know how easy it is to just end up living life and not really thinking about uh, something of consequence in our everyday life. Rather than to see our lives as part of this grand cosmic scheme to save the world. And my desire is that by the end of this sermon, or at least by the end of this series, that you will accept God's invitation to join him in his mission to save the world. We're going to pick up in the middle of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. Now, this is Luke's second book that he's written in the Bible. Luke's gospel is his first book, and we know that this is the one that tells the story of the spirit-filled, spirit-led ministry of Jesus. And then he pins the book of Acts, which shows how the Spirit descended on the early Christians, just like the Spirit descended on Jesus, and empowered these believers, this church, to keep doing what Jesus had already began. So I'm going to read to you in Acts 16, beginning in verse 6. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. What we have preserved for us in God's word in this passage of scripture is that the Holy Spirit led Paul and his companions to preach the gospel in Macedonia. And what I would like for you to consider right now during this message is that the Holy Spirit is still strategically calling believers to join his mission to save the world. You think, well, how can we save the world? What can we do? What do we have to offer to save the world? I mean, we love the TV shows about it. We love the Jack Bowers, but me? How am I going to do that? We join God's mission to save the world when we align ourselves with the Holy Spirit, when we place our yes on the table, and we center our lives in the gospel. So we're going to start with the first part there in verse 6. And here's, the, here's the, uh, the thing that we need to remember. You join God's mission to save the world when you align yourself with the Holy Spirit. Well, I think it's important for us to kind of understand the context, how we got here. Uh, the book of Acts in the first half, it describes how Jesus uh, ascended into heaven and then empowered uh, the early believers. The church was born. And then it really follows Peter. And it shows us the ministry of Jesus' close disciple, Peter. And then in the second half, the book begins to follow this new convert to the gospel, Paul, in his mission to save the world. Specifically, what we see is how he travels to spread the message of Christ crucified and plants new churches along the way um, in really three specific missionary journeys. And during the first journey, uh, Paul and uh, his partner Barnabas they traveled to cities like um, uh, Derby and Lystra and Iconium, and they planted churches there. And then all of a sudden it comes to the second missionary journey where we're going to be, and they decide, Paul says, let's go back to those cities. Let's visit those cities, 
and let's encourage the churches that are there. And along the way, uh, he took with him Silas, but along the way they met this young man, Timothy. And Timothy was a disciple of Jesus, and Paul said, you should come with us. So now these three men travel off into these cities to encourage the churches, but then to follow God's leading on their mission. So Paul, he was strategic in his journey. Um, He didn't just go anywhere or just wherever. He was real specific. In fact, he liked to go to really important cities, preferably um, in commercial and administrative cities, where the word of God could then radiate out out into the world. So if all of a sudden we can reach the people in this city, in this significant church, then all of a sudden there are other people in the community from all over the world, they go back to their home cities, their hometowns, their home countries, and they're able to share the message. And so that's what he liked to do. William Larkin believes that Paul's plan was to make his way straight west into the Roman province of Asia. Now, this is, there's the whole continent, but in the Roman Empire, there was one province referred to as Asia. And this commentator says that's where he believes that Paul, along with Silas and Timothy, was headed. And then verse 6, it says, They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. What we know is they started off in a city, and they traveled up into what's modern-day Turkey. Um, This is, you know, Mediterranean Sea below it. Uh, To the north, we have the Black Sea. They're kind of in the center of that landmass of what we know as Turkey today. And they're headed west. Some think that he was trying to make it to Ephesus. We know he eventually makes it there, but it sounds like that's where maybe he and these guys were headed, was to go to Ephesus to preach in this significant city to plant a church there. And something happens that leads to a detour. F.F. Bruce says that the language in this verse implies that perhaps a prophetic utterance was spoken, possibly by maybe a prophet in one of these cities, maybe in Lystra, that somebody said, the Holy Spirit does not want you to go and to speak the word into Asia. We don't really know how the Holy Spirit communicated in this instance, but all we know is that Paul recognized we're not to go. And so they were redirected. To the north lay this frontier, this province of Bithynia. And then over in the northwest would have been this region called Mycenae. And it says in verse 7, After they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. Okay, I know you're thinking, Wes, we did not come here for a geography lesson, all right? I'm the type of guy, I like to know where I am at every moment. I'm like, which way's north? Which way south? I pointed in the right directions. You know that, right? That's north, that's south. So uh, I like to know. When we go running in the down, downtown, I, I, I have the map of the downtown grid in my head. I count the blocks, where I'm going to turn. And depending on who I run with, I get really frustrated because they take the wrong turn. We're not going there, you know? That's the type of guy I am. So I'm not giving you a geography lesson, but I just want you to kind of understand where in the world they are. They detoured. They headed to Bithynia, up north. Once again, the Holy Spirit stops them. It says there in verse 7, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Maybe it was another prophet, or maybe it was just uh, uncomfortability in their spirit. We shouldn't go. Something like that. All we know is they realize we're not to go into Bithynia. So they pass through this whole province of Asia and end up on this coastal city of Troas, right on the Aegean Sea. 
Like I said, this is not a geography lesson. That's not the important part. In fact, John Polhill writes, the geographical scheme is certainly not the dominant motif in this section. The divine leading is. I want you to understand they're traveling. They've got a plan in mind. But there is a divine leading that's bringing the gospel to where it's to go. So it's here so clearly. We see how God is strategically working to advance his kingdom reach around the world. Now I know F.F. Bruce speculates that maybe there was a prophetic utterance or something like that. But we really don't know what happened. We don't know how the Holy Spirit communicated, why they were prevented from going there, why they were forbidden to go into this place. No matter how he chose to communicate, the men received the message. They understood God was shifting the winds of the advance of his kingdom. You know, sometimes following the Lord can be confusing. Um, Sometimes it makes sense in your head what we should be doing. And I know that's been my experience. That all of a sudden I come to a closed door and I'm thinking, but God, it makes so much sense. Open this door. This would be so significant, so strategic. But the door remains closed. I've prayed for people. And I think, God, heal this person. I can see how it would just make a difference for your kingdom if you would do that. And I wait. And from our finite minds, things don't make sense. Because we can't see God's grand and glorious plan. I'm sure that Paul must have felt the frustration. I want to get over here. Or if we could get into this place, that would be a significant place. And so he had this good idea of where he should go, but he and his companions stopped in their tracks. Now let's be honest. We don't do a great job in our churches of explaining or even understanding the Holy Spirit. We know God the Father. He's our creator. He's our sovereign. We understand Jesus, God the Son, our Savior, our Advocate. But sometimes when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we're trying to decide, is he a he or is he an it? We don't quite know how to refer to him. Years ago, I was young and inexperienced. That's a joke because I know some of you are thinking you're still young and inexperienced. But (laughs) this is years ago, and I was teaching in the college ministry. And I was teaching on the subject of the Holy Spirit when Dr. Stang, and I'm pretty sure your precious wife, came into our college Bible study and lunch that day. And you brought with you Deb McQuilkin and your wonderful husband, Robertson. And if I had any confidence on teaching in the Holy Spirit, teaching about the Holy Spirit that day, it went out the door when these spiritual giants walked into the room. I mean, these are legends at Columbia International University, and I'm afraid they're coming to grade me. And so Dr. Stain is one thing, but then to have Robertson, who wrote the book, that Southern Baptist churches use to teach what it is to live life in the Spirit. I had read his book. I had gone through the Bible study, and now he's sitting here, and I'm about to teach on it. Well, um, the truth is that those men, these families, have been nothing but encouraging to me in ministry. But I felt pressure that day. Let me say very clearly to you this morning, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is God, the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, almighty God, the third person of the Trinity, he ministers to us and through us as our great comforter and as our counselor. And one way that he reveals himself to us is in the way that he leads us. So in this passage of scripture, we see that the wind of God in the person of the Holy Spirit begins to blow. 
The question is, will Paul and his companions follow? Will they throw up the sails and align their life with the mission of the Holy Spirit? You know, that doesn't happen by accident. It takes intentionality to align yourself with the Holy Spirit. Anne Lamott writes a really interesting thing to me. She writes this, The Gulf Stream will flow through a straw, provided the straw is aligned to the Gulf Stream and not at cross-purposes with it. The Gulf Stream will flow through a straw, provided the straw is aligned to the Gulf Stream and not at cross-purposes with it. The Gulf Stream is this great current, starts in the, here's the other geography lesson, right? Starts in the Gulf of Mexico, around Florida, across the Atlantic Ocean and up to Europe. And she's saying that that Gulf Stream, that great current will pass through a straw, but it's not going to change direction for the straw. The straw has to align itself for the Gulf Stream. We cannot shift the Holy Spirit. God is God, and we are not. In fact, I think it'd be a good practice right now. You just turn to the person next to you, and you say, God is God, and you are not. They need a reminder. You turn to them. You tell them right now. God is God, and you are not. I know some of y'all are enjoying that way too much, telling that to a parent or to a spouse. But we shift ourselves so that the Holy Spirit can work in and through us. As a believer in Jesus Christ, are you aligning yourself with the Holy Spirit? Or are you waiting on God to align with you? You know, when you tolerate sin in your own life, you are living at cross-purposes with the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you're living for this world and not for God's kingdom, and your goals and your purpose is very earthly focused, very self-centered. Well, in order to align with the Spirit, you must inspect your, inspect your goals and your purpose in life. Are you living for the Lord or are you living for yourself? You know how to analyze that? Pull out your checkbook, pull out your calendar. You'll really see who are you living for. What about the way you see circumstances and people in life? Do you consider that maybe the Holy Spirit is at work? And while you cannot change the circumstances you face, nor the people that you're interacting with, you can change the attitude that you have and the lens by which you see the person and see the circumstance. That is aligning yourself, aligning your life with the Holy Spirit. So in order to join God's mission to save the world, you must align with the Holy Spirit. Second, you join God's mission to save the world when you place your yes on the table. Verse 9, we read, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. In this instance, we know how the Holy Spirit communicated, right? The other times it's just a guess. But right now we know in this moment the Holy Spirit communicated through a vision at night, perhaps a dream. And in the dream, it's very clear what's being communicated. Come and help us. And somehow he knows he's from Macedonia. Well, what kind of help do you think they were looking for? We'll get there in a second. What we do know is that Paul is in Troas. This is a part of the northwest region of the province of Asia. It's a city on the Aegean Sea. And Macedonia is two days away uh, uh, by boat across the Aegean Sea over to the continent of Europe in the modern-day country of Greece. Well, the book of Acts begins with a commission from Jesus, and it's to his followers. Acts 1-8, you all know it, but you will receive power, Jesus says, 
When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even the remotest parts of the earth. Can I propose to you today that at this point in history, Macedonia, Europe, was surely part of the remotest part of the earth. Now the Roman Empire is headquartered there, but for Jews living in Roman-controlled Palestine, this is a remote part of the earth. As far as we know, the gospel had never been clearly proclaimed on the continent of Europe when Paul received this vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. I think the man was asking for the best help that a Christian can ever extend to bring the gospel. Now up until this point, the Holy Spirit had forbidden Paul and his companions to preach in the province of Asia. We know they wanted to go up into the province of Bithynia, but they were forbidden from going there. And now all of a sudden they get a vision that says, now come to Macedonia. I wonder, do you think they thought, well, no. We already know where we're headed. We got this figured out. We wanted to go there, and you said no. We wanted to go there, and you said no. Now you want us to go there? No way. Not now. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm tempted to think that. When I feel like God's leading me one direction, and it makes a whole lot more sense to me to go that direction. And I'm thinking, well, not right now. Well, I'm convinced when it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit, just like when it comes to electricity, we are either going to act as a conductor or a resistor. Resistors halt the flow of power. Resistors grab hold of those electrons and won't let them pass through. But not the conductors. They act as conduit, right? They have open hands, and they allow the electrons to pass right through. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, resistors pray, leave me alone. When it comes to Holy Spirit conductors, they say, as you wish. And did you know that both prayers are answered? My great mentor and dear friend Rick Milne was one who placed his yes on the table for God. He called it living on go for the gospel. And that's indelibly written in my heart and in my mind even to this day. Now he wasn't a great missionary who uh, laid down his life in dramatic fashion in the bush somewhere. But instead, in a figurative way, he laid down his life every single day for the purpose of God in his life. Every patient that he saw in the operating room was part of his mission. Every person who ever sought funding from him to go on the mission field was part of his mission. And he was regularly sharing the gospel. In fact, one of my favorite stories from Dr. Milne was he went to get his hair cut. And he called me afterwards and he said, Wes, I got my hair cut. Good. He said, but not only that, I got to lead the person who cut my hair to the Lord. Paul made himself sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. It reminds me of Isaiah. You remember Isaiah, in the time of King Isaiah's death, he writes, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah says, I said, Here am I. Send me. Will you put your yes on the table for God today? When you walk in to get your hair cut, will you put your yes on the table and say, God, if you need me to minister here, I'll do it. When you go to lunch today, and all of a sudden a college student is waiting on you, 
Will you put your yes on the table for the Lord and say, how can I minister to this one who's serving me in this moment? When you go to your office this week, will you say, God, whatever it is you want to use me for, my yes is on the table. When you're tempted to be disappointed because of who you end up sitting next to in class, will you instead say, as you wish, Lord, and look for how the Lord might use you in that moment? When circumstances put you in a long line and you are tempted to be frustrated, will you put your yes on the table and say, God, however you can use me here for this person or that person or this person over here, I'm willing to do it. As you hear about opportunities to give to God's great cause, to support his church, to be involved in mission, and to go as he calls you, will you say, Holy Spirit, my yes is on the table. Have thine own way. We sing that a lot, but do we live it? Joining God's mission to save the world involves aligning yourself with the Holy Spirit and placing your yes on the table for God. Finally, you join God's mission to save the world when you center your life on the gospel. Verse 10, when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul, Silas, Timothy, they're on this mission for God. They end up uh, detoured. The Holy Spirit is breathing. The three men throw up the sails and say, where are we to go, Lord? They end up going to Macedonia. And I wonder if you notice, there's a grammatical change here in the passage. Now, there's a two-letter word that slips in in verse 10. All of a sudden, it says, when he had seen the vision immediately, and it changes, we sought to go into Macedonia. It seems that Paul, Silas, and Timothy became a four-man team for the gospel in this verse. All of a sudden, we, most scholars believe this is when Luke joined the mission. He hopped on board and he went with them. It's clear now that the mission for them is to preach the gospel in Macedonia. Now, I'm sure that in Macedonia there were needy people, probably people that were infirmed and needed a miracle, people that were hungry and needed to be fed, people who were lonely and needed a friend. But Paul and his companions were coming to help, yet specifically they were going to help by preaching the gospel. Do you know why? It's because the gospel is not intuitive. You know, Romans describes how God has placed his character into creation so that everyone is without excuse. It doesn't matter where you are and what you know about God, you are without excuse before a holy and just God. But we know there is one name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved, and it's the name Jesus. So God has chosen in his sovereignty to use the proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of men and women. So we can't just live in a distinct way as a Christians. We also must proclaim the good news that Jesus has come and he has taken upon himself the sins of the world. He has died, he was buried, and he has risen again, giving us the promise of hope in him for our own resurrection, and you receive that gift by grace through faith. It must be preached. It must be proclaimed. So they go to preach. Sometimes we think our philosophy in life should change based on what we're doing, you know? Um, we think, well, I, I'm, we're all very different. We have different roles. It doesn't matter if you're a bank president, if you're an elementary school teacher, if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you are a, a disabled worker, a college student, or if you are um, um, working in retail. 
What's going to drive your decisions throughout the day? My hope is that it will be the gospel. That the gospel will permeate your life financially, relationally, educationally, physically, emotionally. Give the gospel authority over your entire lives. If you center your life on the gospel, that means we know how to respond if God calls. When God leads, do you ever say, well, not right now, you know, or at some point, or I'm not ready yet. You know, my kids do that to me sometimes. I'll tell them to do something, and they just say, hold on, Dad, wait just a minute. And then I realize I do that to my Heavenly Father, too. Hold on, wait just a minute. This verse says that after the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. This is a reminder that delayed obedience is still disobedience. Is God calling today? If God's calling you today, don't delay. If the gospel is at the center of your being, you will say yes, because that's the only response to your Lord. Paul and his companions began the missionary journey, headed in one direction. God's totally shifting their plans. Next week, we're going to look at how Paul got here. How did he become who he is? Then we're going to track right back into this chapter, and we'll follow it out as they go on the mission. You join God's mission to save the world when you align yourself with the Holy Spirit, place your yes on the table, and center your life on the gospel. You know, for some of you, it would be a big, hairy, audacious goal to share your faith with one person this week. You know what I found? When I go to sleep, I need to pray that prayer, God, here am I, send me. And the next morning, wake up thinking it so I can see where he might want to use me. For some of you, it would be a big, hairy, audacious goal to start a Bible study, maybe in your dorm room or your apartment. Or perhaps maybe a prayer group that meets at your school before school each week. For some of you, it would be a BHAG just to invite somebody to church next week. This week I got an email from a church member that contained a BHAG of sorts. It just so lined up with this message that I have to read to you the message. He writes, Wes, the Lualopo, that's a people group, consists of 250,000 men, women, and children in southern China who have never even heard of Jesus. They don't even have the Bible in their language. No one is going to them. Wouldn't it be amazing if FBC sent the first ever message bearer to them, paid for a translation of the Bible into their language? What if? God is calling you. He's calling me. He's calling this church to live on mission with him. Will you say yes? Our Father and God, What a great delight it is for us to dwell on your word, to consider it, and now, Father, to respond to it. Lord, we all respond. We'll do it even this morning. So I pray, Jesus, that you would have your way in our lives. Holy Spirit, as you blow, uh, err on us. Help us just to raise the sails and follow you where you lead us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have an invitation. So many of you might be responding just to come and join the church or following believers' baptism, or maybe it's just to say, I'm going to pray, here I am, send me. Some of you, it may be responding to the gospel for the very first time. I'm going to be down here waiting. I'm going to invite you to stand as our choir sings, you respond.